Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It's like God is saying, even though I'm going to do this work, I'm not going to just have you check out and do nothing. You know, I, I love the, you know, the idea is be prepared and do what you can. Give all that you have and rely completely on the Lord in doing it. See, sometimes people think, well, if the Lord's going to do this, then I can just sit back and it's gravy train. I can sit back in my lazy boy recliner and do nothing and God will perform it. Well, God wants us to be involved in it. How can I keep from singing? Today on Truth in Christ, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly. Welcome to our Bible study for today. This kind of careful preparation shows faithfulness, not a lack of faith. God's promises of success to us should never lull us into inaction. They should encourage us to step out in godly activity and faith in His will and plan for our lives. As we learn, we find that God has greater things in mind for this spy mission. It will fail as a mission of military reconnaissance, but it will succeed in God's purpose. Let's turn now to Joshua chapter 2 and join Pastor Rob with today's study said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless, when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head if a hand is laid on him. His blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then you will be free from your oath which you have made us swear. Then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window and they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. So the pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, and here's the the good report, (laughs) Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us because of us let's go back to verse one and so it says now joshua the son of nun sent out two men from acacia grove to spy secretly saying go view the land especially jericho now bear with me here 
go to Acacia Grove, from Acacia Grove, and go to Jericho, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to a house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, if you notice up here on the screen, there's this map, and um, I think it's pretty clear. You can see right over here is Acacia Grove, right where this red dot is. And then over here is Jericho, and you can see right below that is the the Dead Sea right here. And right going right down the center of that whole thing is the Jordan River, okay? And at this time of the year, when they are going to be crossing, it is completely flooded. The banks are overflowing. It's right in the middle of harvest, and so the, the river is just huge. And even today, if you, go, if you go to Israel with us, you'll see that even after it's rained, the Jordan River, you have to swim across it. And at other times during the year, it's just a little stream that's going down, and you could walk over it almost. But at this time, it was flowing very heavily, and the Scripture tells us that. But this area between Shittim, which is Acacia Wood, and Jericho is about 14 miles, and the Jordan River kind of splits it right down the center. And so they're over there on the, on the west side, and they are getting ready to go over the Jordan And, you know, and so Joshua sends these spies to go over and look at Jericho. And, you know, if you think about it, although it is a good military strategy, notice that God did not specifically tell them, and especially he didn't specifically tell Joshua to send the spies. It's it's like God is saying, even though I'm going to do this work, I'm not going to just have you check out and do nothing. You know, I, I love the, you know, the idea is be prepared and do what you can. Give all that you have and rely completely on the Lord in doing it. See, sometimes people think, well, if the Lord's going to do this, then I can just sit back and it's gravy train. I can sit back in my lazy boy recliner and do nothing, and God will perform it. Well, God wants us to be involved in it. And and the, the attitude we really need to have is do everything in your power as unto him, and then leave all the details up to him. Because believe me, in the doing of anything for the Lord, there's going to be all kinds of twists and turns in the process. And you're going to have to learn. We have to learn. And I can continually learn learning I've got to rely completely on him. No matter how much effort I put into it, I must rely on him. And that's really what he's doing with, with Joshua. Joshua, you go ahead and send those guys. God didn't tell him specifically to do that, but we'll see later on where he gets this idea from. So Joshua sent them out, two men from the Acacia Grove. And if you notice, turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to see something very similar here. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at the very first verse, and it's very pertinent to what we're talking about because they're getting ready to go in, and Joshua sends two spies. Now, if you remember, nearly 38 years prior to this, nearly 40 years prior to the event we're looking at now, Moses sends 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. Remember how that happened? Look with me at Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Notice it was the Lord's idea. Moses, you send 12 men, one man from each of the 12 tribes, the heads of their tribes. You send them in to the land. So God tells them to do this. This is his plan. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, and all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. 
And verses 4 through 15 really list the names of the 12 spies, and we're not going to go through all of them, but I will take note of what's happening in verse 6, because it says, From the tribe of Judah, Caleb is one of them, the son of Jephunneh. And notice in verse 8, From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, who is Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun. And then finally down in verse 16 of that same chapter, These are the names of the men. And of course the others are listed there. But the, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Joshua gets a new name. And remember that Joshua and Caleb were the only two faithful ones. And when they went into the land to take a report of the land, they were the only two, the only two that came back with a good report. And so now we see Joshua may have learned something from this. Because he was certainly a younger man at that point, right? He's looking up at Moses, sending these men in. And he's one of them, right? He's one of them that goes in. Comes back and he's thinking, you know what? Later on down the road, I'm going to do that. (laughs) Something about the two that came back. And notice Joshua doesn't send 12. He does it secretly. Notice verse 1. Back in Joshua now. He sends two. He sends two men, probably men full of faith like himself and Caleb that would go into the land. And he sends two in to go spy out Jericho. I don't think that was any mistake. I think there was a lesson learned there. And Joshua thinking, you know what? We're not going to repeat this again. I don't need, in the, in, the, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every matter be established. So he doesn't send another 12. He sends two men who are full of faith, probably men like him again. But notice what the verse says, though, there in verse 1. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. A harlot named Rahab. You know, some believe that this word Rahab is actually the title or the name of an innkeeper. But that's really not what the Bible says in the New Testament. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, it calls her the harlot Rahab. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 25, he says, the harlot Rahab. So at some point in Rahab's history, she was, in fact, a prostitute. We don't know exactly when, but it was probably not after she was delivered from Jericho, but maybe beforehand. Because remember, she lived in an idolatrous land, full of pagan idolatry, no morals. So she is called the harlot Rahab. And I love the fact that the Lord doesn't sanitize the truth about mankind, don't you? I love the fact that he, this title, even though I'm sure after she was delivered from Jericho, after the thing was destroyed, I am sure she wasn't a harlot anymore. But notice how the Lord allows her to remain to have that title. And, and I almost wonder if it's not, it's not there to demean her. I almost wonder if it's there just to show Look what I can do through that person. Look what I can do through someone who the community looks down upon. The Lord loves to use the base things of the world. He loves to use the things that nobody wants, the refuse of the world. And he likes to pour himself upon them and to use their lives. And we're going to see that Rahab was a woman full of faith. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, because we have to deal with this character, Rahab. She's one of the main characters in this chapter that we're looking at tonight. But in Matthew's gospel, we have a genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you all know this. 
But in Matthew chapter 1, we're just going to look at the first six verses. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brothers. Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashon. And Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Are you kidding me? This harlot, this woman of ill repute, now she is in the bloodline of our Savior? Are you kidding me? We've got we to gotta revise history. We've got to scribble that out. Anybody got a big eraser? Notice that God is not ashamed of that. We're ashamed of that. I'm really not ashamed of it, honestly, because I know he's not ashamed of it. He doesn't try to sanitize everything, and that's what makes the Bible so beautiful. Did God sanitize the life of David? No, he didn't sanitize the events of David's life. But is David in heaven? Is he one of the greatest kings Israel ever had? Absolutely. Was David forgiven? Absolutely, David was forgiven. But notice, not only Rahab was in the bloodline of Jesus, but Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. The Moabitess? Ruth? She begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. So right in the bloodline of Christ, right down through King David and onto Christ himself in the flesh, were these women. And also David the king begat Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So now even now through this wife that David had unlawfully killed her husband, the first child that they had was killed. The Lord took him. But then the next son after him is Solomon, one of the greatest kings Israel had ever had. One of the most difficult individuals as well because of how he ended. But notice in verse 2, it goes, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So even the king of Jericho knew that something was up. He knew he had heard He had heard things happening, and they were very much aware of what the Lord did. The word spread pretty quickly. In verse 3, So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Now, see, the thing that we fail to remember is that these two spies probably went right into Jericho during the at some point, and they were just walking, walking around, probably trying to disguise themselves, mingle with the crowd, maybe look like them. They're walking around the city on the inside of the gates, and they're just wandering around, and people are watching. Because everybody knows everybody in a gated city, don't they? In a gated community? Yeah, I know so-and-so, Mr. Rothschild. He's the one who always drives the, uh, the Jaguar. Yeah, I know Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Rockefeller. He's the guy who's always driving the Bentley with the driver. I see him all the time. But who's this guy? Everybody picks up on a stranger. And certainly they must have stuck out somehow. And then in verse 4 through 6 here in our text this evening, this is the lie of Rahab. So, then the woman took the men and hid them, and so she said, Yes, king, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when when it was dark that the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And she lied, didn't she? She lied to the king. And she spared their lives. And she also 
did it at great risk. So does the ends ever justify the means in the Lord's economy? Is lying okay? Well, we know the answer is no. We know that Exodus 20, verse 16, says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That means bringing a false accusation or lying. We shouldn't lie. Leviticus 19, verse 11 says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And then in Proverbs 6, verse 16, it says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a lying tongue. And in Proverbs 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. So we should never condone lying, but there are times when we are tempted to tell a lie to protect or uphold perhaps a greater thing. Now, is God able? was God able to protect those men on the roof if, if, if she was going to be so righteous and say, you know what, you ask the question, King, and I've always been faithful to you. Yes, they're here. You think God would be able to spare their lives and allow them to, to go, home, go home free? I believe he would. But notice that Rahab, in her fear and in her faith, and God doesn't condone the lying, but she did. And she did it for a good reason, I believe, and that's to spare life of somebody who she knows that God has called or uh, that God, something that God was doing. But we need to confess and turn away from those things nonetheless, even if our lie, which God can forgive, even if it saves life. You know, you think about a madman who's going after a young child, and you see the young child maybe running through Brooklyn in the city, and you see the man from afar running after this young, innocent child, and it could be a stepfather who's just angry at his mother, and he's going to kill the kid. And, and certainly in our culture, that never happens, does it? <laughs> yeah, it does. And then you intervene. You sneak in and you hide the child behind a dumpster, and you're sitting there. And he comes around the corner and he says, Did you see a kid come by here? What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm probably going to tell him, You know, I didn't see him. I thought I saw him run down there by the bakery. So he takes off, and you spare the life of that child. Have I lied? Yes. Is it a sin? Yes. Is it forgivable? Yes. Was the higher good better? I'm not saying that we can condone it, but we would do it, wouldn't we? And I know I would. I'll be honest with you. And I'll ask God to forgive me, and that child will live. And it's a similar thing that she did here. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that there are other times in the Bible where this happens as well. Where Abraham, you remember, right after he calls Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and he goes up to Haran, and then you know, there his father dies, and then he goes down into the land of Canaan, but then he, there's a famine in the land, so he goes down into Egypt, and on his way, before he gets to Egypt, he tells to Sarai, his wife, hey, listen, you're a really good-looking woman. Make sure that you tell these guys that you're just my sister, okay, because they're going to kill me and they're going to take you. Was he selfish? Absolutely. Did God tell him to do that? No. Was God able to protect her life and his if he was obedient? Yes, he was. But in his flesh and out of his fear, did he tell the lie? He did. And did God in his mercy and his grace, did he get them out of it? Sure, certainly he did. He certainly did. What about David when he was on the run from Saul? He goes to Ahimelech, the priest, out in the, and 
he went to Ahimelech saying that he was on an errand from Saul when actually he was just running from Saul. So he lied to the high priest. Was God able to spare his life? Was God able to cause Ahimelech to do the right thing and give David food to eat? Give him Goliath's sword? Something to protect himself with? Yes, he was. Or what about in Exodus chapter 1? In chapter 1, verse 15, it says, And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shiprah, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then he, he shall live. But the midwives feared God, notice, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. Did they lie? To the king of Egypt? Yes, they did. Could God have spared uh, those sons another way? Maybe, maybe not. He could have if he really chose to. But they did it nonetheless for the higher, for the greater good. But again, those are decisions we have to make, right? And, and it's always good to, if we're ever in a situation like that, we have to make those kind of decisions. We have to think about it. And sometimes you have to make those decisions in a... Just like that. Like a police officer has to make a decision every day. And then when we do go wrong, we ask God to forgive us. Even at the expense of saving a life, it's good to go to him. Say, Lord, I lied. It wasn't right for me to lie. And Lord, honestly, I'd probably do it again under the same circumstances. But would you forgive me? I forgive you. Really? (laughs) Wow. But also she was a woman of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab is listed among those hall of fame, faithers. Hall of faithers. You've heard it here first. That's a first. I just thought of that right just now. Isn't that amazing? Hall of faithers. <laughs> hall of faith. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And by faith, notice, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And in James chapter 2, it says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? I love it because Rahab demonstrates faith. It demonstrates faith in God, in the God of Israel, Jehovah, by believing what God, that God had given the land to them. And she also did this at great risk, which makes it even more interesting. Because had she been found out, she too could have probably been killed by her own local magistrates for hiding the spies and lying to the king of Jericho. So her own neck was on the line. By faith, she hid those men, knowing that one way or another I'm going to die, but I'm going to be on the Lord's side. Somehow she heard of the story, the event, not a story. They, they, they heard of the event of Israel coming across the Red Sea and what God did to Sihon and Og on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side. They heard about that, and she heard about that, and by faith she responded. This woman 
who everyone looked down upon. And I love how God loves to choose the base things of the world to confound the wise. Out of all those thousands of people that were in the land of Jericho, in the, in the city. And when we go to Israel, we drive right by Jericho, and you can see the ruins of it. Highway 90 runs right down it, and it goes right down by the Dead Sea. We drive right by it, and you can see it. The ruins. So Rahab demonstrated faith in God, even though she had lied. In verse 7, it says, Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. A ford is really... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.